Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. You know, it's always exciting here. It's always exciting in the studio. It's always exciting when I put the dog away. But you know, today just feels different. How many bleak mornings have we had over, oh my gosh, for some of us in two years, for some of us of us, it's been three years. And on this show, we're always upbeat. We're always trying to find that silver lining. But today, I must tell you, all is glowing, all is sparkling as I look outside of my Jerusalem window. Because on today's podcast, those of you who um, who follow my Facebook page, those of you who are just tuned in, know that this morning, I'm going to have on the show, after a few introductory remarks, my good buddy, my dear friend, my friendship, blendship, surprise of my daughterage age, uh, Simon Ansley from Johannesburg. And we'll talk a little bit more about our deep friendship, about his take on the world, my take on the world, how we come from two completely different corners, both um, in so many ways. And yet, the connection of the soul, the accuracy of morality and friendship, and the bridges that it can, it can, they can, we can span together. So um, it's a new format here at Israel News Talk Radio. And so, first of all, let me say thank you, thank you, thank you for those of you who are listening in and are patiently watching us and rooting for us as we um, kind of thrash it out, hash it out. Usually I have a list of who is listening in from around the world, and perhaps later we will do that romperoo moment, and I will shout that out and say hi to everybody. This week, <coughs> pardon me, I'm called. How many of you still have that post-COVID, that little dry lung thing that doesn't go away? You're feeling fine before you do the high dive into the bed, but you find yourself coughing. Hold on one moment. Mm, wonderful lozenges. Anyway, for those of you who follow the fascinating aspects of my life, you should know because my life is not busy enough, because I'm not working four jobs, um, because I have a husband who just seems to eat a lot and, and he likes food. Um, I made a decision today. What we are not going to discuss on this show today, and this is a warning to Simon, is we are not going to discuss Roe v. Wade on this show today. I'm not sure if it's today only or ever or aspects of. Forgive me for sounding arrogant. It's my show and I'll decide how, what, when and why we will. But I really have deep friendships around the world and I really don't want the conflict. Not this morning. Things just feel too sunny, too glorious. We're not going to, unless we have an accident, this is a warning to Simon, because he has a way of kind of ambushing me on subjects that I'm not really well-versed um, well versed on. We're not going to discuss what happened in the Knesset, the dissolution of the Knesset, 
<coughs> pardon me, and the upcoming elections right now looks like post Yomi Norim after the High Holy Days. As I said, I think they want us to daven a lot and pray that we're not as stupid as we've been in the past. Tall prayers wanted. Um, this week, I it's amazing that we were able to actually prepare for the show because I did something this week that does not come natural to me. And I don't mean I went high jumping, high diving. I don't mean I went skiing. I don't mean that I got my nails done, talking about things that are not natural. I babysat for two of my children and their children. I was so tired, I thought I needed to be hospitalized afterwards. There's a reason that youth is for the young. I babysat for two days in a row, and I have to tell you, by the end of the second day, I was handing the kids cash. Um, I was throwing at them candy bars, cheese sticks, and if the child had been a little older than nine, the oldest one, I would have given him the keys to the car. Just take them anywhere, everywhere. I didn't do that. So... My only promise to my children is that under my supervision, I will do everything in my power to keep them alive. I will not promise to keep them clean. I kept them clean. I will not promise to do laundry. I did laundry. I will not promise to keep them nourished. That promise I kept, not to keep them nourished. All right. Last night, I watched a video, kooky, a 16-minute video. I really don't know very much about Warren Buffett, but... um. Yeah, I watched a video of of Warren Buffett speaking about what makes people successful. And you know, you know that I believe that if something sounds right, if something feels right, if something makes you nod and gives you the warm, you know, those, those warm, huggy feelings inside, you can be pretty sure it's consistent with Torah. And if something um, does not feel great, you can be pretty sure if you have to like renegotiate and say, yeah, but, you know, people need it would be fair if and if you start to negotiate, you can be pretty sure that it's not all that consistent with Torah. This Warren Buffett video on success and taking chances and not and being able to start with twenty five hundred dollars. I'm laughing because I'm watching the video and going, yes, yes. And I'm thinking, where am I going to get twenty five hundred dollars? Anyway, it was very interesting, and any of you who want a link to that um, video I saw, I'm happy to send it right to me, Andrea, at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Keep the email address, because also, if anything I say today or anything that Simon and I discuss kind of piques your interest, you want to take issue with it, you want to give us a round of applause, things you want us to discuss, please drop me a note, love getting the mail, and getting back to you. All right. Before we open up with my guest, came across a very sweet story. I don't know where I came up with this story. Who sent this to me? People send me those wonderful things. Sometimes people send me pretty horrible things, but you don't hear about that. But the most, and it was a story about Rabbi Beryl Wine. And you all know that I use Rabbi Wine's Dvar Torres a lot. I learn a lot from Rabbi Wine. And he just seems so applicable to today. But anyway, in 1997, Rabbi Wine moved to Israel. Um, I knew him at that time. I actually was very good friends with his late wife, Jackie. May she rest in peace. They were just a wonderful couple and a real, real asset to the uh, kind of disconnected 
Anglo community in the Rehavia section of Jerusalem. Anyway, Rabbi Wine moved to Israel and he went to get an Israeli driver's license. Anybody listening from Israel knows about that experience. Okay. I mean, I drove. <laughs> it was bad. Um, so during the driving test, excuse me, you hear me the clicking of the lozenge? This show is so real. <laughs> That's what we keep it real at Israel News Talk Radio. Anyway, the examiner blurted out, Rabbi, you're a good driver. Now, these are not words that typically come out of the mouths of Israeli driving instruction. You know, you start the key. They say they turn the ignition. They say you failed. Anyway, so Rabbi Wine, he he asked, you know, like, where's that coming from? And he said, the examiner explained, you know, before you pulled out of the parking space, you first looked in the rear view mirror to make sure that there was no oncoming traffic. No one here does that. I guess there's a whole discussion we could have about why that was an issue, why nobody does that, but that's not the point of this very lofty story. Anyway, Rabbi Wine observed that this kind of encapsulates a problem that we have in today's society. We don't look in that rear view mirror of Jewish history. We focus only on what's ahead of us. We don't pay sufficient attention to the events of the past. A lot of people think that the Jewish world began when they were born in the city they were born in. We pull out of our parking spaces. We don't check the side mirrors or the rear view mirror. And we drive forward into the traffic of our present and our future circumstances with hardly a glance over our shoulders. We certainly aren't checking the blind spots. And you know what? This kind of attitude, both driving and indeed living and interacting, can have cataclysmic results. We can proceed successfully with our lives if we have a clear, unobstructed view of that rearview mirror of our history as a people, as a nation, by understanding where we come from, what we have collectively endured in the past. This is the only way that we can absolutely um, absorb what our role is in today's world and what it is that we need to be doing and at least thinking about. I like that. Want to know what your thoughts are. So, um, okay. The last lofty opening note, because Simon and I don't get lofty. Uh, well, we do get lofty, but uh, we, that's not what it's about. So we're just adding him to the friend list. Woo hoo, woo hoo. Oh, Pardon, a little sip of water. So this was sent to me by a friend in California. And of course, I ad lib because I want to cut to the chase um, during a prank. And we all remember those childhood pranks. And we know we know the impact of bullying today. It is discussed. Ad, I won't say ad nauseum because it probably is not discussed enough. Uh, bullying, the cruelty, the taunts of childhood that stick with people. A lot of people in their 50s, 60s, 70s are walking around with that same sadness, that same fear, and that same feeling of being awash and hiding from those who tormented them. So anyway, during a prank, a student stuck, I don't know if this is a true story, but it's a nice parable, stuck a paper on his classmate's back that said, I'm stupid and asked the rest of the class not to tell the boy. 
the students began laughing all day throughout the day. We all remember that, the kick me sign, I'm stupid. So later on that day, a math class started and the teacher wrote a difficult problem on the board. No one could answer it except who, duh, we know where this story is going, the boy with the sticker on his back. Amid the unexplained giggles, he walked to the board and he solved the problem. The teacher asked the class to clap for him and remove the paper on his back. She then said to him, it seems that you don't know about the paper your classmates pasted on your back. The teacher turned to the rest of the class and said, before I give you a punishment, let me tell you two things. First, throughout your life, people will put labels on you with many nasty words to stop your progress. Had your classmate known about the paper, he would not, he could not have gotten up to answer the question. All you have to do in life is ignore the labels people give you and seize every opportunity you have to learn, to grow, to improve yourself. Second, it's clear that he doesn't have any loyal friends among you. Not one of you told him about the sticker. It doesn't matter how many friends you have. It's the loyalty you share with your friends that matters. If you don't have friends who can defend you behind your back, who can watch over you, protect you, and who genuinely care about you, you're better off alone. What a wonderful introduction. What a wonderful introduction to bring on my dear friend, my new friend, with an old soul, Simon Ansley. Simon, are you on? Are you there? I am more than on. I'm listening to you and I've got the largest smile on my face you can imagine. But go on because I'm loving this bit. But you know what's, what's very interesting was we were, we were together. It was really a couple of years. And I'm embarrassed to tell you, Simon, I really didn't take it that seriously. I used to have come on and speak with you. You are on a wonderful station in South Africa. We, I had this incredible opportunity to meet with you, if not every week, every few weeks, and we would chat. And I will be forever grateful for that opportunity because you know I have a place in my heart for South Africa. It is indeed my second home. And anybody listening in who's not from South Africa, you know, you're probably saying to yourselves, She's talking about South Africa again. <laughs> What's the God's Godzilla with South Africa? And we'll get to a lot of that, please, God, in the future. But you know, the times when you were gone, because you had the chutzpah, the, 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 the abject nerve to uh-huh. occasionally take a vacation. Correct. And, and, <laughs> correct. And now I can make a confession in front of everybody. I would always write to the station and say, who's, host, who's hosting today? And when they would give me another name, it didn't matter who the name was. It were wonderful people. It was great. I would always say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so busy today. And it ended up that I would only go on if you were the host because it just felt so wonderful. And after leaving the station, I received quite a few notes from people who said, oh, you and Simon, you were such a team. You sounded so great. And I thought to myself, Hello, good morning, Israel News Talk Radio. Where's my friend Simon? Talk with me. And we haven't had this opportunity in a while. So what's go- what time is it in South Africa right now? Well, uh, number one, just again, my, I have the largest smile on my face that you can imagine. This feels so existentially right 
to be speaking to you, Andrea Simantov. You have a cult following, um, not only in South Africa, but all over the world. And it's been my absolute privilege to have the relationship that I've had with you. Greenland, Greenland, very big in Greenland, yeah. Huge <laughs> in Greenland. As they're packing the fish, Andrea Simantov, keeping them company. But um, yeah, this just feels so absolutely right. It's like putting on my favorite pair of old socks. Actually, it was a really bad analogy because I wouldn't Terrible. have a pair of old socks. But well, you I don't know, know what, what your I mean. feet smell like, Simon, but can we think of something else? A warm, fully us. A woolly scarf. How's that? A woolly scarf. Exactly. A woolly, woolly, warm, wonderful, yeah, nourishing yeah. scarf. Keep your um, socks to yourself. So, so yeah, I've been absolutely looking forward to the opportunity to speak to you. I love the fact that you set the ground rules right up front in the first 30 seconds of this morning because you know me too well. You know I would have jumped in with Roe Ro v. Wade oh, yeah. and the oh, Knesset, yeah. absolutely oh, yeah. no doubt. But I reckon we'll probably settle on ice cream. That'll probably be a safer place oh, to be. Oh, yeah, Ben and so Jerry. We'll get there. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is just – it was worth getting up at the crack of dawn in the pitch dark in a two-degree Johannesburg to speak to you. Yes, it was, Simon. It absolutely was. Um, right. So I'm looking at all of my notes here. We have so much to talk about. As You know what? Let's not talk about anything icky now. You know, I have an ick factor. Uh, we have an ick factor session, a section of the show. And that would today fall under the anti-Semitic flyers that were found on the lawns of Florida homes, primarily Jewish homes. Did you know about this, Simon? No. So uh, it is interesting because before the show began, you sent me just a little indication of what we may or may not chat about this morning. And this was news to me, Andrea. Fill me in. I don't know about the story at all. It hasn't hit Africa. Well, it, well um, <laughs> a lot of things haven't hit Africa. But I'm not making jokes. I'm not making jokes. My kids ah, are in Africa. Pass on that, okay. <laughs> okay, we love Africa. Okay, the blessed rings. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, um, so apparently, and it's, it's, you know, we have so many wonderful listeners in America, in North America, Central America. I don't, think I, I don't even know who we have in South America. But so I have to be careful because very often our perspective from Israel, we become a little bit jaded. And there's something, we feel a little bit omnipotent here. Antisemitism, yawn, we came home. We're here. We'll deal with it on the ground here. And well, what do you expect? And it's a callousness that sometimes is not fair and um, and and puts a separation between Jews when we should be doing everything to kind of bridge that gap. It's a wonderful word in Hebrew, a pilug, which is like a chasm. So I read this article, and generally I don't talk about those kind of things, but on lawns in South Africa, I think it was in the section of Florida, Coral Gables and Miami, um, both of them heavily populated with Jews, and they were bags, of course, the bags were filled with popcorn. I remember seeing it was little cellophane bags filled with popcorn and on the cover it was very well done the graphics were beautiful it was six the faces of six of the top executives of at disney we're gonna take too much time and tell you who they were but they're the big numbers the head honchos and with a mug and david a jewish star superimposed on their foreheads and let's see the 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 coterit the coterit the headline um, the headline said, thank you. I didn't tell you people, Simon, Simon's Hebrew is superb, better than mine. Well, 
actually better than mine doesn't make it superb. Let's leave it. Simon's Hebrew is superb, period. All right. And what it says in the Koteret, the headline, every single aspect of Disney's child grooming is Jewish. Protect your children. And um, and um, it was just a very sick, a very toxic. And people who don't think that anti-Semitism is alive and well, I have it. Anybody who wants, send me, send me Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Happy to send you the actual article. Um, and I think there was a website attached that tells everybody that it is um, Disney is pushing the, um, let's see, gun. Oh, that um, COVID, uh, the COVID lockdown was a Jewish, it was Jewish business as usual. Okay. Which is very interesting because I only know Jews who were sick with COVID. Okay. Um, um, the the everything, everything liberal and that tears apart America is all at the feet of Jews. And why was the popcorn? I thought the popcorn, I'm trying to look for the anti-Semitic message in the popcorn because I'm my father's daughter. No, the popcorn was just to hold the bags down so okay. that they would, <laughs> they, would, they would remain on the lawn. And it's... Um, I think to me, Andrea is an outsider, somebody who's yeah. not an American or an Israeli, you know, as somebody from the diaspora who looks at the safest place for Jews ostensibly in the world, one always thinks of America. You know, America was mm. going to be the haven, the place where Jews could fulfill themselves, the non-Zionist narrative of the Jewish people. America was the golden of Medina. And suddenly, having watched what we've seen and witnessed over the past three, four years, the unimaginable appears to be happening. I mean, there was something that absolutely I never thought I would see my lifetime. I don't know if people responded to it to the extent that maybe I expected them to, but there was a mapping project. They actually mapped the Jewish organizations in certain parts of the United States, I think it was Massachusetts, and published Mm -hmm. it all over the web so that people could actually go and harass Jews. Who would have thought in 2022, Andrea? It's astounding. In America, you know, maybe in other places. And you know what's in, what's what, what you're really talking about is it's very funny because it's almost that's what I keep using the word jaded. I'm frightened that I'm becoming like it's becoming wearying. Um, it's not, and that's that's the horror when when we have stories like this. On one hand, do I have a responsibility to mention a story like this to let people know, or by mentioning these stories? Are we kind of parving it, kind of bringing it so much into the atmosphere that it stops having? They use the word Holocaust for everything. Their Holocaust has one meaning. And the yeah. meaning is so obs- obscene, yeah. so brutal, so should be beyond. And we say, oh, did you see that? And they entered Filene's basement. And you would have thought it was the Holocaust for shame. For shame. And it's the same thing, the word terror. Terror is designed to make us feel it in our inner organs, where we see our life flash behind us. And we say, look at my child. He's a little terrorist, you know, ripping up the toilet paper roll. And we just do that. So here, what's happening in America, it used to be, I would say, 20 years ago, um, perhaps. Nobody would dare speak negatively or make a Jewish joke at a cocktail party. It was so déclassé. you would have been suddenly asked to leave. And today it's the new cool. It's the new chic. 
And um, there is an absolute war on Jews. And none of us are in uniform. None of us, none of us know where to begin. None of us know if we should be participating. There used to be the saying, what if, it, what if somebody threw a war and nobody showed up? But with Jews, there's a price to pay. Children, Jewish children on American campuses are going out of their way to, I'm losing my English, Simon. I'm going to really need your help here. Um, to, not to evaluate, to erase any vestige of their Jewish of identity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it's not a matter of getting a sign on your back. It's not a matter of being bullied. It could absolutely be the de- be the difference between being Nothing ignored yeah. and being personally injured, property yeah. destroyed, humiliated, ousted, and deeply, deeply damaged. Um, I have American. We have a lot of Americans listening in. Really, holy Americans. I'm thinking of we've got a lot. Very interesting. We have a lot of American non-Jews listening to this show, and. Um, their take is always very, very interesting, very exciting. So anybody listening in, I'd be very curious. This thing with Disney, um, you know, I mean, also they go into Disney has been the it's been the center of conspiracy theory and the so-called grooming. And of course, you know, they use that word grooming always when they're talking about, you know, right away, they want to get the hackles up. So it's they're grooming you and then they're going to the don't say gay law that they just passed. Um, I don't even know if it was uh, Governor DeSantis. So what they're trying to say now, things that were never said, Disney has been accused of pushing a gay agenda, a pro-Jewish agenda, a gun, guns for every citizen agenda. Um, and And they say in its children's movies and their shows. So this is something that has to, we have to keep our eyes open. Because we are under siege and it doesn't matter. The enemies, the enemies of righteousness, the enemies of morality, the enemies of just decent people everywhere are being, they're under siege by people who are just throwing stuff at walls and seeing what will stick. But you know, the lump of toilet paper that they're throwing has the word Jew marked on it. Yeah, no, I hear you 100%. 100% and I agree with everything you're saying, Andrea. What I'm jealous of and what I would love to take from you is that ability to be jaded in the way that you are. And I think that is the the miracle of Israel and what Israel has given you was that ability to to withstand this because it doesn't affect you in the same way as it affects us. Uh, you know, it's, There's a vulnerability in the diaspora, which is something that one lives with every day, every moment. And the response to these events is visceral. Whereas in Israel, I think you do have the luxury, and I'm jealous of the fact that you have the luxury of being jaded. So, uh, yeah, I want to be jaded. Well, that's that's very nice. I would give you the flip side, however. Yeah. I'll give you the flip side, and I've thought about it. Please, God, on July 4th, July 5th, I will be celebrating my Ali anniversary, 27 okay. years in Israel, 27 years coming up. And what I will say to you is when you talk about the jaded, and yeah, I remember always wringing my hands, living in Galut, living in it. And yet there's a cockiness here in Israel that I frequently see. I frequently, not my problem, doesn't belong to me. Um, it's not okay. so serious. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and yeah. even more so, even more so, yeah. 
many Israelis, many, I, I can't even, I, I can't even venture a guess, a guess, a guess, a guess on the percentages have very little connection to Jewish history, Jewish Messorah tradition, understanding Jewish religion. Somehow for many, and it's something we struggle with here, Israel has become the religion. So it's not stinks there, great here, jaded is. um, Yes, there's not a child in Israel who doesn't know what Shavuos is, doesn't know what Simchas Torah is. It may, but it may have absolutely no historical or no religious thing. They know they get off on one holiday. You get to wear white. You get to there's picnics, there's beaches, but um, and you can't say the same for the diaspora. I had no idea what Shavuos was. Never heard of such an animal. Tisha, you know, Tisha B'av. It was it was a Yiddish joke. So there's a lot that we can talk about. Let's talk about Ben and Jerry's. I knew that. Because <laughs> you're looking interesting. so interesting. Right, because I'm so thin. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Ben & Jerry's. Number one, I don't know the brand all that well. I've got to tell you, I don't know if it would be my number one. But <laughs> the controversy has been absolutely fascinating. It has the most inordinate amount of publicity for what I'm going on about a year now, if not longer. Um, was this not a storm in a teacup, Andrea? Were there not more serious issues to deal with than whether one could buy Ben and Jerry's in Janine? Well, you know, okay, so yes and no. It was a storm in a teacup when you just dumb it down to ice cream. We're talking about ice cream. But Ben and Jerry's, I mean, it's it's very it's almost like Jane Fonda having something to say about my country, my land, my politics. You're an actress. Be an actress. okay? and you're not even that good. So um, so Ben and Jerry's, they're very, very popular and they have a whole social, um, Simon, help me, you know, a social responsibility platform. And they got onto that BDS bandwagon, okay? Boycott, boycott, divest, sanction. And we have, we manufacture Ben and Jerry's here in Israel. So what happened was because they decided to no longer, because it's not about the ice cream, it's about the politics. And they decided that Israel, this monster society, this unfair society, we, you know, we apartheid is child's play next to Israel. And um, so they were pulling out their um how do you say their interest in Israel? And what happened was it was very, very sad because there was one lone Ben and Jerry's factory here in Israel, independently owned, independently operated and populated by workers that were both Jews and Arabs. And suddenly the profits were, were, were plummeting. Then there was a whole campaign that people should buy Ben and Jerry's in Israel to keep them afloat. Yeah. It's yeah. not a tempest in a teacup when people start to make big moral issues out of the quiet things in life. And the chutzpah, people who know nothing, the loudest voices. I mean, if I can just say, right? <laughs> if we're going to mention, uh, uh, what's his name? Roger, Walt, Roger, Roger Waters? No, no, no. Don't, don't mention Roger yeah. Waters. Poo, He's in a class of his own. Yeah. Poo. He's yeah. in a class of his own. But you give a guy a mic, you give a guy a bandstand, and you know, 
the late journalist Shana Alexander. She was once speaking about Lush and Hora. And I remember this is, you know, the evil tongue or spreading gossip. And I remember I was not at that time, I was not yet Torah observant, but it had an enormous impact on, on me. And she said, slander or lies, I don't remember what her term was, was like taking a feather pillow, slicing it open, and shaking out the feathers, and then saying, oops, and trying to put them all back. I hear you. I'm not sure how controversial you're going to allow me to be or not, (laughs) but I'm going to say it anyway. Is there not a more nuanced stance on this particular issue, Andrea? They were not as I understand it, calling for a boycott of the state of Israel in toto, they were saying they didn't want their products sold in Judea and Samaria. And would that not accord with the views of, say, 30% of the Israeli public, 50% of American Jews? Is there not a more nuanced approach to what they, in fact, did? Were these just not a bunch of kind of woke hippie type founders who sort of jump on these sorts of causes worldwide. Um, What's your take on that? Okay, so two points. First of all, I don't have tons of notes in front of me. I'm only looking at ice cream containers pictures. But having said that, there's two things. Uh, Um, uh You're, yeah, they're woke hippies, but it is my understanding that it wasn't just this. They were holding learning sessions, woke learning sessions in their plants in Europe and in America to explain the Palestinian, and I say that in quotes, okay, the yeah, Arab perspective and the okay. So they were they were they were educating, or shall we say miseducating their part. So it wasn't just about two woke fat hippies, you know, saying, I don't like this and I'm going to be the most liberal Jew I can be. Yawn, yeah. yawn, snort. We've seen you before. But it was that they were acting on their agenda. And then the other thing you say, very fair, aren't there people in Israel who stand on the left side of the aisle as though we had a Knesset with an actual aisle, um, <laughs> stand on the left side of the aisle and object very much to, to those of us who are more nationalistic? And I will say this. Yeah. It is our country, it is our argument, and it is ours to conduct ourselves here. Look, Simon, yeah, you I and I you. have I had uncomfortable legit. discussions. We have had uncomfortable discussions, and I'm praying that anybody listening into this is saying, these two are really friends, and they are. Without a doubt. Friends. And also, I'm not taking a stance. I'm just giving another perspective. So, But you know that over several very fattening dinners in South Africa that, of course, you paid for. Um, I express to you that I cannot see, understand, compute, comprehend, with rare exception, any reason that any Jew should not be living in Israel. And I am often, often the response I get is, well, don't you mean only your kind of Jew? Only Jews who are Zionist Jews, pro-army, um, pro-greater Israel, uh, kicking out the Arabs. I mean, I get things put in my mouth. and all that. Don't you mean only what about? And then they give a list of other kinds of Jews. And my answer is bring your arguments home. Yeah. Bring it here. Yeah. Israel can handle it. 
God's land, God's people, God's sovereignty, God's holiness. Come home, pick your bones here, argue with me here. But don't sit in an imagined flesh pot. And it's an imagined because Jews are no longer safe. And I will say it. You just heard it. Um, and you know, don't sit there and, 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 and get smug about it. You want to come, you want to be different, you want to bring your agenda, bring it here. We're up for it. And actually, it might be very, very good for the debate and for the future of the Jewish state, which I wake up some mornings and I'm very nervous about. But I'm at peace knowing that I'm doing my job, which actually Devar Torah today is going to speak about a lot. So, Tachlis, bottom line, will you be buying Ben and and Jerry's ice cream tomorrow? You and the Israelis that you know, what is the feeling towards the ice cream? Have they have they repaired the damage? Is it too late? Where do they stand? Where do you stand on this issue? You know what? I can't believe we're giving this much time to this particular segment. Because truthfully, I don't know anybody here who stopped buying Ben and Jerry's. Oh, once really? they heard, that in once they heard right, once they heard that it was coming from the Israeli factory. I mean, I must admit, for a few weeks I was looking for Hagen Das. The fact is both my husband and cardiologist will tell you that I have no business eating. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. So we took sense. a lot of air time <laughs> on this one. But um, look, there's a lot. Is You know what? I'll tell you what was wonderful. With the coming in of uh, Ben & Jerry's came in and then Hagen Das came in, all these kind of world brands, Israeli ice cream, which, okay, please, nobody come and yell at me. None of you old time yet. It was vile. It was just the most vile. Oh, wow. I wasn't expecting old, that. Okay. The old yeah. Israeli ice cream. I remember right. coming to Israel in 19, I don't even think I ate it in 19 when I came in the early 1970s. But I remember coming and visiting in 1982, strawberry ice cream. It was a color. It was like, I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie <laughs> It was terrible. It was, okay. it was, it was really pink. inedible, horrible. You know, the vanilla tasted like, I don't know what. And well, Israeli ice cream has become very, very good. Really up the and game, did they? they good to up know. The game. I have to tell you, give a Jew a challenge and this glorious country just wonder. Oh, look, I'm looking at my article and it actually brings out somehow Lapid gets into the article of Ben and Jerry. So I think we are done. If, if Yair Lapid is somehow being... <laughs> coming in. Let's go on. All right. Did you hear this? What's coming up? This is what is coming up, Simon. I couldn't believe it. I thought that I had heard the last of this. The, last night's headlines. Don't ask me where I saw it. It was Globes, Jerusalem Post, Times, Ynet. Fuel prices set to spike drastically in Israel. What is left? Can, can, I, can I comment? Will you let me comment? Have I not let you comment once yet? I, I, I was lucky enough to be in Israel in April, Andrea, and it was... I know, we missed each other. Yeah. And mm. I needed to get up north, so I was given a car by very, very good friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one does what one does. One gives them back a vehicle with a full tank, does one not? You could have rented and bought a house. Andrea, it was 15% of the cost of the airfare to fill up a vehicle. That is what Israelis are paying we, for their fuel. Yeah, 
Yeah, you yeah. could fly to Europe on what it costs you to fill up a vehicle. It is so. How could it possibly get more expensive? The brain just doesn't comprehend. So you know what? That's the miracle of Israel and Israelis, because you know I don't I don't like to drive. I used to drive a lot when I was a young mommy. That was like another thing with the babysitting. I was driving constantly. My car is still plastered with potato chips. So, but I don't like to drive. And because I have children who live in another city, thankfully, they live near each other. So it's one city. I try to make one trip when I go every few weeks. And I thought the roads would be perhaps people would because public transportation in Israel is incredible. I'm I'm a big fan. Yeah, it's really, it really wonderful. It's, yeah. it's very good. No, they're driving. They're out there. They're traffic jamming. Um, I'm just looking. It's going to go as of today. To, as of July 1st, um, it's going from um, NIS, you know, shekels, 7.72 shekels, which is almost, um, it's what is it, $2? No, yeah. I'll take your word for it. I have absolutely it's, no it's idea. A little, but, it's, uh... it's a little, it's about $2.50, and it's going to almost like, um, I, I don't know, it's going to 8.8. Somebody, I hope, Todd in California, you, do you have your... Uh, calculator out he's very good he listens carefully um and it's going up the next week the latest in a series of fuel price hikes now what concerns me and i haven't read through and i haven't studied i have a lot of i have a lot of little information about a lot of things okay mm-hmm. i am yeah. the coterit queen all right the, head, all right. the, headline, the queen. headline queen yeah didn't we discover oil in israel aren't we talking about exporting oil why are we paying $4 billion for a tank of gas? What is going to happen? And the question is, are we going to soon be reading articles sooner than later about abject corruption? I'm nervous. Granted, until the discussion of oil, we would get our oil via OPEC, but via a third party country. Okay, we would get it through France, through Germany, through whomever, through Greenland. But anyway, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, my ribbon. what is it with you in Greenland? Huh? Have you been- <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, a lot of murder mystery podcasts in Greenland. Um, anyway, it'll be interesting to fill the tank. It'll be crazy. I, I, I personally, you know, I would stop driving if that was me. I'm way too schnup. I, there's no ways I'd spend that kind of money filling up a car. But it is interesting because I've kind of read some articles saying, what will it take to get Israelis out of their vehicles? Would it take free buses? Would that entice them out? What would the answer be? And you just do not, contrary to what you were saying. Andrew, you don't have a great public transport system. How do you get from one little far to another little far, other than via Tel Aviv or the main cities? It's you, you. You really need to start thinking about doing things differently to get people out of their vehicles. Right. So, well, I don't personally have to because <laughs> somebody there who's not running for office this yeah. afternoon. We only have the upcoming election. Yeah, give us a solution. I, yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. I don't know, Simon. Um, when I see the driving, I live in South Tel Aviv and um, I live in South Tel Aviv. I don't live in South Tel Aviv. I live in South Jerusalem. Well, it's not Greenland, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay. It's not Greenland. Anyway, you have to have a car in Greenland. I, I, I understand that. It's, and no, but it's not a joke. What I know about Greenland is that there is not good public transportation. There are 
cabs. And there's a lot of, it's a very big nightlife because there's not a lot of culture going on. Okay. Don't, <laughs> don't laugh. And when the cabs stop running, it is very yeah. difficult to get home at night in Greenland. Okay. I know about that. So anyway, they have, um, there are, I don't know what, what you're going to do to get the Israelis out of the car. There is, the problems are the kfarots. I do have grandchildren and mishpacha in Beit El. And they do have quite a few buses through that whole Binyamina area. Um, but it's not like Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, it's every five minutes. In Tel Aviv, every five minutes. But there are car services. I don't know what to tell you. You can make it without a car here. We have a new car rental system here. I don't want to give them a plug because they didn't buy advertising yet. We'll talk on a later show, Simon. The, God the, willing. the shared, the shared vehicles. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. They, that's they an interesting concept. And, and my children yeah. have been using them, and they're fantastic. And what I do know, some people are doing, which I like, are they're living without cars, and one day a week they have a list. <laughs> of all their car errands. Because if you're buying for a family to go to the supermarket, it's very difficult. Not everybody can deliver. A lot of people want to touch their food. You know, I'm ordering online a lot more now, but I'm not loving it. And I I like to be in a store. I think it's important to get out in the world. I'm such a, you know, I'm so agoraphobic. And so they do all their doctor's appointments, everything on the one day. I think where attitudes are have to change. Yeah, I like what you're saying, and I hope that that's where we go. And I'm wondering if there isn't like a Macha syndrome, you know? I am driving my car. I'm in charge of my own uh, fate. I'll go where I go at the speed I want, and you will not tell me otherwise. And I wonder to what extent that doesn't kind of resonate with the Israeli psyche. But uh, yeah, like don't you let said, anybody... somebody clever is going to have to solve that one. Someone clever, certainly not from my hometown. But anyway, you know, what I wanted to also tell you was that um, – when you speak like that, Simon, you're giving yourself away. You're giving yourself away that you know us too well. You know Israelis. And we will continue to have our, um, our discussions. Listen, we're going to soon go into the Devar Torah section. I, have, I know that people are going to go crazy and they're going to want you back again and again. And we may have some surprises in the future for the listening audience. Can you make a noise, Simon? Tell me, are we going to have? <laughs> That's a I Simon noise. Can. No, I, I, this, this has been a wonderful hour. Thank you. Right. But the last thing, before I go into my departure section, I do want to tell you. I'm sorry. Recently, I did a, a segment on, um, recently, I did a segment on the 10 happiest countries in the world. And this was the craziest thing. Israel. Israel came in at number three, okay, which was to me a massive yuck, okay. Um, I just sent a a note to a listener. Ha, we heard you. What listening. do you What do you mean a massive yuck? Explain that. Yeah, you know, because Israel's Israelis. First of all, Jews. Let, let's be. Let's call. Let's call it as it is, Simon. Jews, but even the Arabs who live there. Everyone is always talking about how miserable they are, how miserable the government stinks. Nobody can make a living. The food is terrible. The public transportation, the price of gas, the school strike. And you know what? They're very happy. This is a very happy country. And if I would think that if in the Olympics, I don't know if it would be the Summer Olympics or the Winter Olympics, but they would have a pachetching contest a complaining, a moaning, 
a Pechechen contest, a Pechechen contest, <laughs> Israel would it. take, we would take the gold each time. Here's a, and we have a new team. Here we have the Pechechnik team from, from Petach Tikva. I'm going to tell you all that's horrible in their town. And the winner is, okay, Israelis are very happy. So I came across, oh wait, I threw, I threw away my notes. This was the 10 happiest countries in the world. And I was very shocked to find out, not happy, where the best countries to live. Uh, let's see, what did they title this one? Cities. Yeah. The best cities to live. The big winners. Unlocking the world. The world's most livable cities. Now, you mm-hmm. may be very shocked to find this out, Simon. No, I'm not, because I already Johanna, wish- yeah, Johannesburg does not appear on this list. <laughs> um, I, was, I was a little staggered by that one. And... <laughs> I'm looking for anywhere here. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, what a surprise, Andrew. What a surprise. Yeah. What a Go surprise. I think I need. I think I need a, va- a Valium. I can't believe it because I cannot find. I'm looking in between one, two. Osaka, Japan came in ten. That's the misery. Vienna, Austria is number one, but nowhere does Petach Tikva come in. Nowhere does Bnei Brak show up. And nowhere in Israel. So somehow we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do on this show, Simon. We have a lot of work to do on Israel News Talk Radio to make sure that in my lifetime, both Johannesburg and Jerusalem show up on this list. The eternal optimist. Okay, we can give it a go. Um, Also interesting, Andrew, not one single American city. Not one American city. Wow. Simon, I wanted to end our visit today a little bit upbeat. So, and you managed to, in your inimitable fashion, put a big damper on it. That's true. <laughs> not, not a, one American. Yeah. All right. Let me just see anything here. That's a, Canada, Canada, Canada yeah. is all over the place. Canada is just, I mentioned Canada to my husband who walks around in 90 90 degree weather wearing a snorkel jacket. And I say to him, <laughs> I really think that Canada is wonderful. Like, you know, can't bear it. Calgary, Vancouver, and Toronto. And you know what? Wow. So, I have to whisper this to you. Yeah. They're the nicest people. They're so nice. Really? Okay. They're I'll take so your word for it. Nice. It's a terrible. Can I make? I hope we have Canadian listeners in, a lot listening in from Canada. They're so good. So I'm going to tell you my one Canada joke. How do you get 10 Canadians out of the pool? Tell me. You say everyone out of the pool. <laughs> okay. So with that, we're going to go. Simon, it has been a pleasure. You can go back to bed. It's seven. Oh, no, you have to go to work. Somebody's got to make I money do. in this I duo do. here. Because I'm do. certainly not doing much of it. Thank you for. Oh, Simon, I just got a list of who's been listening in. And uh-oh, I hope we're not in trouble with Canada. Good morning, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> We have listening in Bisimcha, Bisimcha. Yeah. We have, of course, all over the U.S. And you should hear another time and maybe off air another time. I'll tell you where they listen in. Really holy people listening all from America's listening in. Canada's listening in. Boker Tov, Eretz Israel. I know we're going a little late this morning, but it's just such a pleasure. We have with us this morning Simon Iran, the Islamic Republican of Iran no is listening way. in. I've got goosebumps yep. for real. Yeah, very frequently. They're regular listeners. Switzerland is listening in. Um, we didn't make any Swiss jokes, did we? 
not one. Not one. Although I do, I left chocolate on the kitchen table for Ronnie. All right. Italy is listening in this morning. Haven't had them for a while. And Poland. So we have a nice crowd. I'm sure South Africa is listening in. I have no doubt. And um, Simon, we have a lot to talk about. I usually say to my guests, will you come back on this show with me? And there's only one answer. Try to keep me away. Exactly. Exactly. Go make a coffee, some French press. We'll talk. And um, good luck in your journeys. I know that you're going away this weekend uh, for on a personal family, yeah. on a family yeah. uh, obligation. And it's a it's a it's a melancholy trip. And I wish you everything wonderful and a peaceful outcome. And please, God, we uh, we have some we have some meetings lined up. OK. We do indeed. Andrea, thank you so much. Todarabalach and uh, catch up soon. Shabbat Shalom, Simon. Bye bye. Okay. Wow. Was that or was that not a treat? <sighs> yeah. I've, I've, I've really, we had a good time in our yard. Yeah, all right. If you liked it, drop me a note. If you had a good time listening to Andrea and Simon kind of schmoozing together, two Jews who schmooze. Um, that's not the name of our show. Let me know. So this week we're winding down. This really is a flagship. It's a flagship experiment here at Israel News Talk Radio, how we're doing the show this week. And I'd like to know your thoughts. Um, the heartbeat, the same, the passion is the same and the morality and the professionalism of this glorious station remains ironclad. And we're very grateful to have you with us. Okay, so this week we're discussing the Torah portion called Chukat. Chukat. Um, and before we go, I want to just mention, so the word Chukat has the word in it, Chok. Chok, okay? If you're not born Jewish, it's hard to do the Ch thing. So Parsha's Chukat, it's all about Chokes, those are the mitzvahs, the commandments that we don't really understand, that don't make sense to us because we are limited today with all of that nutrition out there, with all of the FDA um, uh, rules in place to keep factories clean and, and uh, immaculate and pristine and keep E. coli out of our diet. Is shellfish really not safe to eat? Pig meat? Why shouldn't I? Aren't these laws outdated? I pray you're not coming in uh, and just listening to these sound bites and not getting the whole picture. Keeping kosher, the laws of kashrut, kosher, is a chok. We eat kosher because God said it and we do it. And you know what? That settles it. Um, so I just wanted you to get a kind of a vibe of what the word chok is. We have a lot of these mitzvahs that when you sit and say, well, I don't really understand this mitzvah, so I won't do it. If I would understand it, I would do it. No, it's not a menu. Take one from column A and one from column B. We have the commandments. We follow the commandments. And if we are too limited to actually um, understand it, which is, we're supposed to be limited. Remember, we are not God. Then it doesn't mean that we are exempt. So before we actually get into the meat and potatoes, I want to give you your assignment. Okay, boys and girls, our chukat, our from the Torah to your table assignment. 
a lot of you are very curious about a central concept of Jewish life. And that central concept is called cheshbon nefesh, or a spiritual accounting. In fact, all of Jewish life, when done properly, involves assessing and reassessing our actions. The Talmud tells us, think about what you lose by by performing a good deed and weigh that against all that you gain from it. Think about what you gain from transgressing and weigh that against what you lose. If you do this, the Gemara concludes, you will be built up in this world and will be established in the world to come. What are we saying here? You know, successful business people, it's not a crapshoot. Oh, I don't know. I opened a lemonade stand and I became a multimillionaire. Successful business people, that does happen, but it's only in People magazine. Anyway, successful business people, for example, keep close track of all of their investments and they're constantly weighing their financial position. They're not getting lazy in that department. So too, a person should make an accounting of his behavior to work on self-improvement. How often should one undergo undergo this self-inspection? Should it be a daily task? Or should we just reserve it for a Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, the high holy days? What actions should be evaluated and weighed? Should we only be moral and deliberate and weigh our behaviors when it comes to our parents, our family, our friends, or associates? Should we question our impulses as well as our actions? And what is the negative cost of doing evil as opposed to the benefits of doing good? I toss this to you because this is food for Shabbos. Um, Something to talk about. One of my favorites, Rabbi Zelig Pliskin, in his work, Growth Through Torah. Um, I think you can get that online, I guess. He looks at the mitzvah of um, loving your neighbor. You know that that we say love your neighbor as you love yourself, and there's a lot of discussion. We say in Hebrew, Okay, regarding the connection between our own behavior and the mitzvah of the red heifer, the we say the para adama. Rabbi Pliskin explained that the priest involved in the purification process, what happens to him? He becomes impure himself by the same process that purified the person who came to him. When someone loses, loses out himself in order to help someone else, this is the ultimate in loving one's fellow man. Rabbi Pliskin continues, a person who is not willing to make sacrifices for other people will always find reasons why it's too difficult for him to do acts of kindness for others. To help others, indeed, most of us listening know this. It takes time. It takes energy. It frequently takes money. But when someone truly loves another person, he feels pleasure in all the sacrifices he makes for them. The greater your love for someone, the more sacrifices you are willing to make. The test of your level of love for your fellow man is the amount of sacrifices you are willing to make. A person who is not willing to make any sacrifice shows that he lacks love for others. I think about this very much. Um, I'm of that generation 
that for those of us who are my age, very young, very old, getting older, a lot of us have parents that are no longer vibrant or vital. We're fortunate. So many no longer have parents. How much are we pouring into our parents, our living aunts, uncles, mishpacha, family, children who will not necessarily be returning the nachas? Ah, these are the measures of love. Okay, so we want to get back to, um, you know, this part I don't want to tell you. I'm so prepared. I'm so prepared. So I'm going to see what's going to really relate to all of us. Stay with me, boys and girls here. Yeah. Okay. We are brought, you know, the ritual. There's a, this talks a lot about ritual, this week's um, Torah portion. And um, it's pointed out to us that we have a lot of difficulties that are embedded in our relationship with the infinite. We want to understand everything. We want to explain those of us who are observant. We want to be able to explain why we do what we do, what our belief system is. You know, today's program, I called it blind faith. And that's something that's just been out there. It's like in the vernacular and people say, oh, I had blind faith, blind faith. But you know what, when you really think about it, it is an awesome concept, not teeny bopper awesome but awe-inspiring. The portion opens with that famous commandment and ritual of the red heifer, which according to Jewish tradition, it defines all, it really defines rational understanding. It's the ultimate, I told you to do it, so do it and don't ask any questions. That's the big instruction of this portion in the Torah. The, The ritual actually defiles the pure and purifies the defiles, as I just mentioned. It's technical and detailed and requires an unblemished animal of red color without even black hairs appearing on its body. And we want to say, why? Why? What's the big deal? Thus, we're brought face to face with the fact that finite humans cannot fathom the infinite creator and truly understand his motives and his reasons for the commandments of the Torah. The Torah warns us of this fact when it says, humans cannot see me and live. Even our great teacher Moshe, he was rebuffed in his attempt to understand more than what mortals could achieve in understanding God's conduct, so to speak, in matters of the world. That's the lesson of the red heifer. Don't dismiss it and say, Torah gobbledygook. It's gobbledygook that indeed defines the essence. It humbles us to think that there are things that we cannot understand, puzzles we cannot solve, knots we cannot unravel. These are the facts of human existence. You know, because at the end of all the explanations, we're again faced with the reality that we just can't understand the ways of the infinite creator and how he deals with us. The big enlightenment. We like to think that we're enlightened. The motto is of the enlightenment. If I don't understand it, it doesn't exist or have relevance to me. But, you know, all of us, even the most knowledgeable, even the most intelligent, 
we know that there are mysteries of life that are beyond our ability to find a solution. I'm just thinking, even last night I was out to dinner and um, everyone at the table, well, that's not true. Three of the four of us have had Corona and the restaurant was packed and we saw people all around us hugging and kissing and yet there would be some who wouldn't get it and some who are on vitamin regimens and some who got it and barely knew it and some who were hospitalized and some who lay for days. And the fact is there are some rules, but we don't know all the rules. If we're willing to engage in those discussions and come out feeling somehow edified, somehow more enlightened, how is it that we cannot understand that the reason the Torah tells us of the incident of the red calf is because we, like Moshe, realize we cannot peer beyond the veil of heaven? COVID? child's play, the entire issue of the righteous suffering and the evildoers prospering, it gnaws at our faith. It's unsettling. It upsets the equilibrium. And yet the realization that we will never really understand these matters, I don't know about you, but for me, it serves as a kind of a solace and it comforts me. I believe that we have to accept our finite state as we deal with that infinite Torah. All right, we're going to start winding down this week in this special show, but just stay with me a little bit because I don't want to miss this. You know, we've become so callous with our language. I mentioned with Simon, we talked about the use of the word terror, the use of the word Holocaust. Have you ever had a teenage daughter who said, I'd die for that skirt? I'd give my right arm for a chance to visit the queen, to go to a concert. Oh, I would give up everything, anything. I'd cut off, you know, cut off, whatever, to live in a mansion. You know, even speaking about the righteous who were sacrificed for the benefit of his generation, we have to be very careful not to become jaded with either our language or our sense of awe. Consideration is the key. We are not all tzaddikim, righteous ones. So what's the mission of the rich, the poor, the sick, the downtrodden? To answer this, we have to turn to the Chafetz Chaim, who describes um, how a poor person can expect to be satisfied with his lot in the following illustration. I love this. I think I might have told this, this before. Don't scold me. A diamond cutter requires a delicate and expensive and fine saw to cut his gems. The lumberjack also requires a saw to cut his logs, but his instrument is large and rough with deep gullet teeth, although the diamond cutter's saw is more expensive. Um, if the lumberjack were to envy the beautiful tool and yearn to use it for his craft, he'd be a fool. The fine saw, albeit valuable, is entirely unsuited for his needs, and therefore it's not a means by which to fulfill his mission. This way, God also created every human being with a different mission in life and invested each person with unique physical and emotional tools to carry it out. Okay. Pardon me one second. I have to answer a 
Okay, somebody who wrote, here we go. <clears throat> there are a lot of things that we don't, we don't understand the severity of Moshe's punishment as recorded in this week's Parsha. Not allowed to enter Israel, not to see Israel. We can only accept but never understand these laws. In finishing, I want to talk about Rabbi Yisrael Salanter's 13 Midot called Respect. Number 13, respect every human being, even if he is different, even if he disagrees or opposed you. Never forget that every human being is precious because he was created in the image of God. Seek not your own glory, for people do not respect the conceited. Remember the teachings of Ben Zoma in Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers. Who is honored? He who honors others. I want to wish you all a Shabbat Shalom, Umivorach from Jerusalem. Thank you very much for joining us on Pull Up a Chair. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.